Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. And even now you can speak into the hearts of your people and grant new life or new strength or increased faith. And so we pray that you would work now powerfully through your holy word as it is read and preached. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'll please open your Bibles to our sermon text, Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. You'll find this in your pew Bibles on page 794. Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country. The white ones go after them. And the dappled ones go toward the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? These cries of lament from the first two verses of Psalm 13 reflect the heart of a downtrodden, oppressed and discouraged people. Perhaps there have been times in your life when this has been your cry. How long, O Lord? In the first of Zechariah's night visions, this was the cry of the rider on the red horse, who we learned was actually the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Son of God. As he saw all the nations of the earth Resting at their ease. Meanwhile, God's people were not at rest, but rather they were oppressed. And so this, this angel, the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the city of, of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? Zechariah 1.12. 
But then we saw how the Lord responded. He responded with gracious and comforting words. Words of mercy and hope. Words of promise and restoration. And these gracious words filled not only the rest of that first vision, but the, all, the, all the visions that follow. Now as we come this morning to the eighth and the final vision of Zechariah's night visions, we see parallels going back to that first vision, and yet this is also the capstone to the progression that we have seen throughout all of these visions. Just as there were horses and horsemen in that first vision, horses and horsemen that scouted throughout the entire earth. So now we see chariots pulled by many strong horses, not only patrolling, but going forth to execute judgment on the Lord's behalf. And so the days of Jerusalem's weeping have come to an end. Now come the days of her rest and rejoicing because the Lord reigns. As we work our way through this final vision this morning, we'll also have an opportunity to recall themes that are here, but also look back to the many previous visions. But primarily, we will see the good news that God is sovereign, and he reigns over all the earth. He reigns and he rules supreme, and because our God reigns, you can trust in him, and you can also rest in him. You can cry out to him and he will deliver you in your distress. He will hear you and he is mighty to save. As we work our way through the passage, we'll do so in three parts this morning. First, we'll see the chariots of God. Second, those chariots going forth. And third, God's spirit at rest. So first, the chariots of God. As Zechariah lifts his eyes in verse 1, the first thing he sees are four chariots as they are coming out from the Lord's presence, and they're coming out between two mountains of bronze. So let's first consider the significance of these mountains. Bronze was a valuable copper alloy in those days, even more valuable than it is today. It must have stunned Zechariah to see these two gleaming mountains made completely out of bronze. Solomon's temple was famous for the two great pillars of bronze that stood before its entrance. And we know that the earthly temple was a shadow and a copy of God's heavenly temple. You had to pass between those two bronze pillars in order to go in and stand before the Lord's presence. And since we see in verse 5 that these chariots are actually standing before the Lord's presence and then coming out from the presence of the Lord, it makes sense that in this vision, as they're departing from his heavenly presence, these two bronze pillars in the vision have actually been enlarged to the size of bronze mountains. Mountains of bronze flanking the entrance to God's heavenly temple symbolize that his temple is actually an impenetrable stronghold, even as God himself is our rock, our fortress, and our strong tower, so that we can trust in him, we can rest in him, for the Lord rules over all. Then in verses 2 and 3, we see that the four chariots are distinguished by the colors of their horses. The first 
had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth dappled, that is to say spotted horses. While scholars like to speculate on the significance of the colors, there's really no indication here in the text that the colors have any particular significance except to distinguish the different chariots. We saw the same thing in the first vision where there were horses with different colors. The colors didn't have any particular meaning just to say there were different color horses. Now it's true that in Revelation chapter 6 there are four horsemen and three of those horsemen share colors with the horses here. And I believe Revelation 6 has allusions to this very passion passage. But I don't think it's proper to take the symbolism from Revelation chapter 6 written so many years later and import it back here to Zechariah chapter 6. Then at the conclusion of verse 3, we're told all the horses were strong. And this should cause us to consider the significance of these chariots in general. In the first vision, we saw the Lord's horsemen. They went throughout the whole earth as scouts. They, these horsemen were the light cavalry. They were swift and agile. They went out to gather information, to report it back to the Lord. And thus, they represented the Lord's omniscience, his universal knowledge of all things, the knowledge of all the earth. In contrast to those horses and horsemen, the chariots were like the heavily armored tanks of their day. They dominated the battlefield. The strength of an army was often found in the number of its chariots. Although, Scripture also warns on several occasions not to trust in chariots or horses, for far greater than these is the might of the Lord himself. But besides that, chariots were strong. They were mighty. They were like the tanks of their day. And in our scripture reading, we saw in 2 Kings chapter 6, we read of a time when Elisha and his servant found themselves surrounded by the horses and the chariots of the Syrians. Even as Elisha's servant trembled with fear, Elisha counseled him, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha, 2 Kings 6, 16, and 17. Now, although the chariots of fire of the Lord could have easily struck down those Syrians, that was not how they were defeated. Instead of the prayer of Elisha, they were struck blind, led by the hand into, Samaria, into the heart of Samaria, and then won over by hospitality. What a way to win over your enemy by love. On Zechariah's vision, he sees just four chariots, but as we saw in previous visions, this number four, it's a number of fullness. And we'll see in a moment, it refers to the four winds of heaven, the four cardinal directions, and it lines up with the four corners of the earth. And so in this vision, it represents all the angelic armies of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Even as we read in Psalm 68, 17, the chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. 
And so these chariots are a picture of God's almighty power. We see the chariots. Now second, let's see what they will do as they go forth. Verse 4, Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Now, as usual, Zechariah does not understand what he sees. This is helpful for us because it gives us the interpretation. He asks here the exact same question he's asked in the other visions. And in response, the angel identifies the chariots as the four winds of heaven going forth from the Lord of all the earth. And this imagery of the four winds emphasizes the power of God extends in every direction, covering the entire earth. We also know from several places in Scripture that God controls the forces of nature. He it is that makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses, Psalm 135, 7. And we read this in Psalm 104, 3 through 4. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. Note also the title that is given to God in this verse. He is called the Lord of all the earth. That is to say, he is sovereign. He rules over all. And so as these chariots go forth as the four winds of heaven, they represent God's providential control over all things. All things that come to pass do so at the Lord's direction according to his will. And that's to say not just the forces of nature, but he is sovereign over all things, even the free choices made by every one of his creatures. This is all part of God's providence through which he works all things for the good of those who love him, those whom he has called according to his purpose, Romans eight twenty eight. This means that the Lord not only knows your trouble, your trials, but he is working in it, he is working through it, and he is using it for his good purposes. So take comfort. The Lord is at work even in your suffering, even in your trials, at work, for your good and his glory. This is his almighty and gracious providence. Let's continue reading verses 6 and 7. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country. The white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go toward the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Now, as these chariots come out from the Lord's presence, we see they are eager. You might say they are chomping at the bit to go and patrol the earth. But they can only do the Lord's will. They cannot go unless he gives the order. But then as soon as he gives the word, they hasten to obey. And in verse 6, we see their destinations. The chariot with the black horses heads north. And the chariot with the white horses also follows after it, also going north. Now, if you recall from previous sermons, the north country represents Israel's great enemy, Babylon. This was the empire that had destroyed Judah and Jerusalem, had destroyed God's temple there in Jerusalem. They had taken the people into exile. And it was only recently that they had returned from Babylon. 
On previous visions, we saw predictions of God's judgment to come on the surrounding nations, and in particular, on Babylon. In the second vision of the four horns and the four craftsmen, we saw that the four horns had scattered Judah, but then the four craftsmen, the temple builders, were going to cast down the four horns of the nations. Then in the third vision, we saw the Lord's call to those exiles who had not yet returned from exile in Babylon. This was the call, Zechariah 2, 6 and 7, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. So those who are still in Babylon are called to return to Jerusalem. But why was it so important that they flee? Zechariah 2, 9. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become thunder for those who serve them. In other words, the time of Babylon's judgment was drawing near. And now, here in the vision of the chariots, we see another picture of how that the Lord's judgment was about to fall upon them. But there's one more thread concerning Babylon running throughout this, these visions that we can see. Last time we saw this basket of wickedness and idolatry and how it was carried, off, carried away by fallen angels and then was set up in an anti-temple in Babylon. As I said, this represented not just a basket of some sort of abstract wickedness being carried away, but the people who remained stubbornly unfaithful to the Lord being cast out of God's holy land and carried off to Babylon. And so now as these chariots go forth towards the north, they do so to bring the Lord's wrath and judgment against this wicked nation of Babylon. You also see in verse 6 that the chariot with the dappled horses heads south towards Egypt, another one of the long-standing adversaries of God's people. You might notice there's no mention of the chariot with the red horses, so most likely they are held in reserve. But now we see the chariots going out, going out to bring justice, uh, to bring judgment upon the wicked. Justice and order is restored to the earth. The result is our third point this morning. God's spirit is set at rest. Verse 8. Then he cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. It's actually not completely clear who's speaking here in verse 8. Something gets the interpreting angel, but the last person to speak in verse 7 was the Lord himself. And I believe he continues to speak directly to Zechariah here. And so the Lord has the final word here in Zechariah's night's visions. With the Lord's powerful chariots going forth to the north country of Babylon to conquer the grievous situation that we saw back in the first vision is finally reversed. While the wicked nations of the earth had been resting at their ease, while God's people were oppressed, so much so that the angel of the Lord had cried out on behalf of Israel, how long? But now as we come to the conclusion of the visions, we see God's mighty army going forth to conquer his enemies. And so now his spirit is set at rest. 
Of course, you know that rest is a pervasive theme in the Bible. It goes back to the very beginning, when after God finished creating all things in heaven and on earth in six days, he rested on the seventh day. And so he set that day apart as holy. And there's a parallel here. For after the visions of rebuilding God's temple, the restoration of the city of Jerusalem, the overcoming of all the enemies of God and of his people, now comes that longed-for rest. The work is done. The rest can become, can begin. In the midst of all this, we've also seen how the Lord has dealt with the sin of his people. We saw his work of justification stripping the high priest Joshua of his excrement-stained rags and clothing him with the pure, festal robes of his own righteousness. Then we got another picture of sin dealt with last time. Chapter 5, the flying scroll representing the curse of God's law and the flying basket, God taking sin, removing it far, far away. But now God's chariots come to destroy even the land where sin was carried off to. And so, at last, God's spirit now set at rest, God's people can also rest in him as the Lord God dwells in their midst. If we take a moment to step back and survey all that we've seen, you can consider that Zechariah has received these eight visions in a single night. Many, including this one, are prophesying events that, from Zechariah's perspective, as he receives these visions, from Zechariah's perspective, many of these events are still far in the future. These things are a certain hope, but they are a future hope nonetheless. So what is needed to receive these things is to have the eyes of faith, looking to the Lord and trusting in him that he will do the things that he has said, the things that he has revealed. It's needed is the faith to, to see the unseen. Like Elisha and his servants seeing the Lord's chariots of fire all around them and so knowing those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Think about it. They were in a seemingly impossible situation Surrounded by enemies, and yet the Lord delivered them. The same was true of God's people in Zechariah's day. They were a ragtag remnant of former exiles living in the midst of ruins. They were, not mere, they were merely a small province, no longer even a nation of their own, under the thumb of a great empire. They had no riches of their own with which to construct a temple, no righteousness of their own with which to merit salvation, no might of their own with which to defeat foreign armies. And yet consider the wonderful promises of the Lord which he had given to them in these visions, promises that the God who had created all things would come and dwell in their midst in glory that he will deliver them from their sin and deliver them also from the mighty nations who surround them. And this, all of grace, all a gift from God. 
And brothers and sisters, this is the same God we look to today. The same God we trust in. The same God we rejoice in this time of year as we meditate on and rejoice in the great gift of his son. His son who took on flesh as he humbled himself and was born of a virgin and so became man so that he could go to the cross and die for our sins. And so I ask, do you have the eyes of faith to see him and to trust in him? He came once in peace to bear the judgment of God on our behalf. But he will come a second time. And the second time he will come as a horseman. As Revelation says, he will come riding on a white horse. And from his mouth will come the sword of his word. Coming on that white horse to bring in the final judgment of God. The judgment upon all of God's enemies. All those who do not look to him in repentance and faith. But with his second coming will also come the end. And that will mean for those who are trusting in him, our final rest, our eternal rest as we dwell with God in the new heavens and the new earth. But until he returns, we are to serve him and to trust in him and to hope as we wait for him. But just as in Zechariah's day, the people received these visions, which gave them a hope and a future, but then they had work to do. They had a temple to build. The same is true for us. Christ is coming. He is coming soon. He said, wait for me, watch for me. But until that day, he is building his church. He is building his temple. And we are not only the living stones in that temple, we are also his fellow workers, and we are the instruments in the hands of the master builder. And as we work, though we face adversity, we trust the Lord is sovereign. He reigns over all. He is at work in all in his providence. And so there is no reason to fear. Those who are with us, are far more than those who are against us. And if the Lord is on our side, who can stand against us? Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise that you are the one true God and that you are sovereign over all things. And so we know and we trust that you work all things for the good of your people and for your great glory. Help us to believe that even when we grow through great trials, trusting that in your wisdom, even this is for the purification of our faith, which is of greater worth than gold which perishes. And help us to look always to Christ to serve him faithfully as we long for his coming. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.